Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. This is the voice of Misty Stinnett and your other host who just giggled charmingly. That's the voice of Lisa Linky. And this is the pot. Yeah. Wait, what was the bless this mess horse? Lisa's on bless this mess, everybody. And he was like, what was he like? Lisa? Oh, I'm going to move away from my mic. No! Nay! It's going to make me cough. <laughs> there was a horse on set that kept... <laughs> he was mad that he wasn't in the scene. And so we would start the scene and be like, action. And I, I would do this. I would pull the thing off and then I would start to talk and he'd go, Nay! <laughs> Zoe is staring at me like I'm a freak. Zoe is Lisa's landlord. So if you're joining us for the first time, this is... Zoe is my landlord. (laughs) Thank you. And this is the podcast where we read and review a popular self-help book each week. And our goal in doing this is to arm you with all of the information that you maybe want to know to decide whether or not the book is worth your time. And let us tell you, some are gems created by happy angel babies sent down to increase our knowledge here on earth. And some are dumpster garbage fires that you should yeah. never, we don't even want to say their names on the podcast because they're so bad. Don't so say their name. Don't say their name. Some self-help is shady. Shouldn't give it to a baby. <laughs> I don't know. I tried. You should light it on fire. Damn a name, don't say the name. Okay. So it's also a musical podcast. You're welcome. Yes. You get the idea. And by the way, we actually release two episodes a week. Uh, the other mini-sode that we release on Tuesdays, we lovingly call the weekly beef and it gets mm-hmm. real wild on that one. Cause we real don't have wild. the structure. We don't have the structure of a book to, um, keep us sane and give us a guideline. Yeah. It goes all over the place. Fridays are. A well thought out fractal of, you know, knowledge and science. And Tuesdays are just who can care? Who can care? We check in on our homework. We always give each other homework from every book. Sometimes, you know, it's the pandemic and we give each other a pass, but mostly there's homework on every book and we try to cover all the sorts of supplemental materials. So what we're saying is, you can stop trying to be a better person because you already are just by being oh, wow. us, listening nice. here. You don't have to do anything else. You're doing it all. You're doing a great job. So that being said, welcome. Welcome back. <laughs> Goodbye. If you're like, fuck this podcast, it's not for me. Oh, we swear. <laughs> yeah, we also you know, swear. Self-help is hard. FYI. Just FYI. So Lisa, what do you have for us today? Misty, today I have a book that was given to me by my my best friend, Sarah. (laughs) Off to an amazing start. It's all downhill from here. My best friend, Sarah, gave me a book. Oh my God. This book (laughs) was given to me by my best friend, Sarah. Um, You guys may remember her. Our longtime loyal listeners may remember her from um, guest hosting for... The instant classic from uh, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man by Steve, <laughs> Steve Harvey. Harvey. I could never forget it. The beginning of this year, I believe it was. And um, wow. Do you remember that? Do you remember? I remember the beginning of the year. time. Um, we okay. read some books. Misty, I'm going to turn on my video briefly so that you can see this book and describe it for our audience. <laughs> So it's really fun. It has. Um, oh, I didn't even say what the title was yet. The title. No, no, no is, it's okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to read thank it. You. So it's, thank you. It is a picture of George Washington, and it says, "OMG, WTF does the Constitution actually say?" Uh, yes. Look it up, Lisa. A yeah. non-boring guide to to how our democracy is supposed to work by Ben Shee. <laughs> Oh, and George Washington is like holding pages of the Constitution, but they're falling on the ground. They're falling. He's like littering. Do you think that's why they call it literature? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, Come for the self-help advice. Stay for the jokes. (laughs) 
Misty and I have had a week. Um, I'm so Yeah, tired. so she sent me this. I called her immediately. So thank you, Sarah. I called her immediately and said, what is this? And she said, it just seems like it would be right up your alley and perfect for the podcast. And I said, you not wrong. So um, <laughs> let me get just a little bit out of the way for you. OMG WTF, does the Constitution actually say, was published this year, 2020. Kindle format is twelve ninety nine. The hardcover is twenty seventy four. I definitely Ooh, recommend a me. hardcover. Really? There is no paperback. Yeah, because it it's the actual constitution with tons of information in there. Um, oh, it has it a see. full copy of the constitution in it? It does. Um, I'm oh, not, is, I'm is like, that the book fulfilling its promise? <laughs> I love you. Oh. Um, Audible is one credit. Um <laughs> I'm going to read a couple of the teasers on the back and tell you a little bit about Ben Sheehan. So Ben Sheehan is a former award-winning executive producer at Funny or Die. He founded OMG WTF, which is Ohio, Michigan, Georgia, Wisconsin, Texas, Florida, to teach voters about state executive races during the 2018 midterms. The Hollywood Reporter listed him as one of entertainment's 35 rising executives under 35 and OMG WTF's gerrymander jewelry. She's... This is this is a lot of tongue twisters. What? what? OMG WTF's gerrymander jewelry was selected as a finalist for Fast Company's World Changing Ideas of 2019. Now, I don't know what that is, but my guess is that it was jewelry designed to raise funds to eliminate gerrymandering. I bet you it's drawn in like the crazy, the crazy of the districts. Yeah. Yes. So um, on the back of the book, it says, we the people dot 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 are confused. <laughs> this witty modern day annotation of our founding document explains what you never properly learned in school, how our government actually works, parentheses, or is supposed to work. And here are just a couple quotes about the book. This is from Cal Penn, who is an actor and a former associate director of the White House Office of Public Engagement. He quit acting and went to work for President Obama. That's right. And he is in, um, what is that thing called? Something, something to White Castle? What's that movie? Oh, uh, Harold and Kumar. Omar. Yeah, Harold and Kumar. Yeah, I think so I just started I, to say Homer and Kalmar. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. And that's how this episode's going to go, everyone. Uh, anyway, he's one of the leads in Harold and Kumar. Yes. So Cal Penn says, in a meeting a few years ago, Ben Sheehan made the topic of gerrymandering genuinely funny to me. Ever since, he's been someone I think of when I look for examples on how to make civics more accessible. Give this book a read. Alana Glazer who is the co-creator of Broad City and an advocate, says Ben grew up in D.C. and had a parent who worked in the U.S. Senate, which gave him the privilege of learning how the government works from a young age. Mm -hmm. Ben shares that privilege in OMG WTF, does the Constitution actually say. This clear, understandable translation of the Constitution immensely helps to understand WTF actually goes out in our government. <laughs> and last but not least, from Arnold Schwarzenegger, former governor of Excuse California. Excuse me. Excuse me. I oh, wish this also book quit had existed... <laughs> <laughs> I wish this book had existed 50 years ago when I moved to the United States. Ben's constitutional breakdown is a must read for every current and aspiring citizen. I'll be back. Um, a plus okay, so plus. Get to the chopper. Get to the, it's not a tumor. Now, <laughs> the contents, he gives a preamble to the book which I'm going to read for you, then the contents of the book are the Constitution, including the preamble, the seven articles, the letter of transmittal, and the 27 amendments, and then the Declaration of Independence, the final draft, and the omitted passage, some thoughts, a bibliography, and an index. Mm. Um, and so we are just going to cover the preamble and Article 1. Okay. Because I found it so interesting and fascinating and super fun, and I really want I want people to buy this book and I want people to have fun with it. So I love it. I love it. Here is the preamble uh, to the book written by Ben. He says the constitution is America's instruction manual. Think of it as our terms and conditions. You know, the things you get whenever you download an app, because like other terms and conditions, most of us don't know what the fuck is in it. Only 39% of American adults can name the three branches of government, despite their being outlined in the constitution's first three articles. Mm. One moment. Zoe, not today. Again. No. Zoe is Lisa's landlord. Come. Come here and let's talk about rent. <laughs> okay. Um, 
It shocked me that only 39% of American adults can name the three branches of government. Not to put you on the spot, but putting you on the spot, Misty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew you were going to say that. Federal, judicial, and banana hammock. So you are in good company. You know, 39% of Americans are with you. There's the legislative, the executive, and the judicial branches. Oh, why? Yes. All of those would be yes. federal. Executive. Yes. Thank you. That's right. <laughs> no. And I did apply to work at the federal oh, uh, branch of banana hammocks and I was. Rejected. Can I tell you? Okay. Can I just yeah. tell you? I'm so embarrassed because I do keep up on political things just in the <laughs> In this moment, at the end of this week, I don't have it in me, but we're going to keep it in the podcast. I'm not going to cut listen, it. Listen, you edit it, so it's on your honor I system, said, and I won't shame you if you leave it out. Federal and presidential also, and democracy. You know, this is a question that you weren't anticipating. It's not, you know, and and again, it's like a gotcha question. Well, it's like, as soon as you say it, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. So executive is basically the administration that's currently in the White House. The judicial would be the Supreme Court and federal courts, and then the legislative would be Congress. Mm -hmm. Yes, here we go. He says, it's weird that a country run by, quote, the people is full of people who don't know how it runs. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it seems convenient for some that most of us are in the dark. If we don't know how our government works, it's hard for us to hold our elected leaders accountable. In a way, our ignorance is their permanent, is their permanence. And also just kidding. I am a conspiracy theorist. It's a conspiracy. Um, that's what he says. He says, looking at our education system today, I don't really get why most schools shoehorn, quote, how government works into U.S. history or social studies. It feels like a class that deserves exclusive focus. Growing up, I remember nodding along to the names of our founders, the dates of pivotal events, and the stories of how we came to be. They're all interesting to an extent, but I also felt like we were, quote, bombarded by history. Teachers were so pumped about America's beginnings that the actual info on how it functions was lost. Oftentimes, I just wanted someone to say, quote, here's how government works and here's how you can affect it. And I remember my brother took civics in high school, but I didn't because I was <laughs> co-editor of the yearbook, so I didn't have time. But um, I wish <laughs> civics were a requirement in addition to history and social studies. Oh, my um, my high school did not offer civics. And it's really interesting, right? Yeah. Um, and my brother is much more knowledgeable than I about how things work. I'm, I'm constantly playing catch up as an adult. Anyway, he has a bunch of little, um, things in the background. Um, he has like a BTW. He says, having said that, when I feel like context is needed, I'll throw it here. BTW gives background. FYI defines stuff. IMO proposes things and NA means it no longer applies. He says, read them, skip them or alternate. Do you? And and for anyone listening who doesn't know what those stand for, BTW means, by the way, mm -hmm. FYI is for your information. IMO is in my opinion. And then mm -hmm. NA is no longer applicable or not applicable. Mm -hmm. And then I do want to show you this page, Misty. He has the constitution on a tablet with the terms and conditions. Do you accept? Yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like exactly what pops up on your iPhone screen. <laughs> The book is che it's cheeky and I like it. Okay, uh, so here we go. Um, still in the preamble, FYI, it's good to know terms. I should have read this for you. The quote, federal government applies to all states and territories, which each has their own government. In addition to the 50 states, there are five permanently inhabited territories. I could not have named this before reading this book. And I uh, won't ask you to do it, but unless you want to take a stab. Do you know any of them? Uh, Puerto Rico. Yes. Ah. Uh, I think that's all I know is Puerto Rico. Thank you. That was the one I thought of too. American Samoa has 51,000 people. The Northern Mariana Islands has 52,000 people. The U.S. Virgin Islands has 107,000 people. Guam has 167,000 people. And Puerto Rico has 3.3 million people. Wow. American Samoa, the Northern Mariana Islands, and Puerto Rico have their own constitutions, as does each state, and the Northern Mariana Islands and Puerto Rico are commonwealths, where Congress can't take away their right to self-government in the meaning of the word. But unlike states, territories lack congressional voting representation and the ability to vote for president, and for American Samoa, U.S. citizenship. There are also nine permanently uninhabited territories. Baker Island, Howland Island, Jarvis Island, 
Johnston Atoll, Kingman Reef, Midway Atoll, which has 40 wildlife workers, Navassa Island, Palmyra Atoll has 20 scientists, and Wake Island has 100 military personnel and two disputed uninhabited, uninhabited territories. Bajo Nuevo Bank, which is disputed with Colombia, and Serranilla Bank, which is disputed with Colombia and Honduras. I had no idea about this. Holy shit. It says the federal government also governs Washington, D.C., which is uh, three quarters of a million people, which P.S. today will timestamp is June 26th. And the House just passed legislation moving to the Senate to make to make D.C. a 51st state. It will unlikely pass the Senate. Wow. And so the federal government also affects U.S. citizens living abroad. But of the 573 federally recognized Native American tribes, on 326 federally administered reservations with 1.2 million residents total, they are largely left to local control. And then within states and territories, there are cities, counties, towns, townships, and school districts with their own local governments. This book covers just federal governments and parts of state governments, since that's what our constitution establishes. And now that you know the federal government's entire jurisdiction, he says, let's continue. He says, because in truth, I find our historical fixation sort of masturbatory to the point of muddying actual rules. It's like approaching a recipe by analyzing the mindset of the chef when he devised it. Were there exigent circumstances at the time of his cooking? Were his ingredients limited because of weather condition or lacks of proximity to trade? Did he consider other chefs' approaches before (laughs) attempting his own? This may bring greater understanding to the dish, but also just tell me how to make the fucking quiche, he said. This is such a perfect analogy. I've never heard it put so perfectly like that before. Yeah. Just just tell me how to make it. Yeah, he's basically describing the difference between history and civics. Mm. And right now our schools teach way more history than civics. And he said, as of this writing, 30 states require at least a year of U.S. history, while only eight states require a year of civics or government. Wow. He said, if we only spent a year learning how to read between kindergarten and 12th grade, we'd also suck at it. And maybe that's why proficiency in civics across K-12 hasn't reached 30% in the last decade. That is wild. Yeah. And it's vital stuff. And George Washington even tried to create a national university around civics. In his eighth and final State of the Union address, he said to Congress, quote, a primary object of such a national institution should be the education of our youth in the science of government. In a republic, what species of knowledge can be equally important and what duty more pressing on its legislature than to patronize a plan for communicating it to those who are to be the future guardians of the liberties of the country? Just fascinating. Wow. So why this guy wrote this book is he was cleaning his apartment. He came across his pocket constitution from eighth grade. Like, I have a I was pocket fortunate. constitution. I do too. He's like, I was lucky my school distributed them. And out of curiosity, he decided to reread it. And he says, honestly, it was rough. I know it's 200 plus years old, but the punctuation seemed picked from a hat. The sentences are <laughs> dense. The phrasing is odd. And he was like, it was so important. And yet it was so inaccessible. So he says of every country in the world, we have the oldest constitution still in use. Oh, really? We Yeah. Do? And then the original document, they wanted to make the constitution a living work and they wanted to make it every constitution expire naturally by law at the end of 19 years. And then they Wait, were like, what? No, 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 no. Yes. Why 19 years? In I September wonder. of 19, 1789, six months after the constitution took effect, Thomas Jefferson wrote to James Madison about treating constitution as living works so that past generations didn't force outdated principles onto future ones. He said, every constitution then and every law naturally expires at the end of 19 years. If it be enforced longer, it's an act of force and not of right. But that would require that, I mean, and that was only, you know, 13 colonies. Can you imagine 50 and maybe 51 states? I mean, I, five territories and nine all agreeing on a new constitution. I mean, absolute chaos. Absolutely. So it's so, hold on. It's so real quick. It's just so funny. Like I do think of us as a pretty new country. Yeah. You know, as far as like 1776, we declared our independence. Like that wasn't that long ago as far as countries go and yet we have the oldest constitution still in use probably because the last time that we made an amendment i mean other countries are constantly updating or amending their constitution i mean anytime a monarchy or a tyrant is ousted Mm -hmm. a new constitution is needed right or anytime a a country you know becomes a new democracy they have to have a new constitution right Okay. All right. Okay. So here, again, we're just going to cover the first article of the Constitution, but here's the preamble of the Constitution. 
We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. But only for white people and mostly white men. Thank you. This is totally true. So, um... So then he breaks down like who were the actual delegates who were there in the in the creation of it, who signed. Um, some delegates weren't present on signing day. Um, and basically his translation is, some Europeans are starting a country that will provide justice, peace, safety, and freedom. It will ensure fairness, stop uprisings and invasions, and protect people's rights. The country will also facilitate health, happiness, and prosperity of its people. The people will run this country. But he does acknowledge that Half of the delegates there owned slaves, and slaves mm-hmm. were almost twenty percent of the population. So this all didn't apply to everybody. But the yeah. amendments would eventually help. So here we go. Article mm-hmm. one, section one. It reads: All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. So basically, it's establishing Congress. And he says, mm-hmm. "Here's an overview." Our government is a republic because we send people to Congress to make our decisions for us. It would be hard for us to have 330 million people make every decision. But it's also a democracy because those people or representatives are democratically elected by us. Therefore, America is a representative democracy or democratic republic. Mm-hmm. So when people say America is a democracy, it's not 100% true. Mm-hmm. Right. So Congress, our federal legislature, is the House of Representatives and the Senate. And Congress and only Congress writes our laws, but only the ones that the Constitution says that it can. And a lot of people think that Congress only means the House of Representatives. And sometimes Congress and the House are used interchangeably. Mm-hmm. And we are, um, are we, uh, I'm getting a pop quiz. Uh, are we a bicameral or unicameral Congress? Bi. That's right. Because we have two chambers, the House right. and the Senate. And the Senate. Too. Very good for you. Thank you. I got. I really got to make a comeback after that banana hammock flub at the top. Yeah, there you go. Article <laughs> 1, Section 2. This basically, I'm not going to read it because it's basically establishing that people are up for re-election. So it establishes the House. Every two years, the whole House is up for re-election. If you can vote in your state's House elections, you can vote in your state's U.S. House elections. So... This is a good time to note that other than Nebraska, which has a unicameral legislature, each state has its own House and Senate. Okay. So Nebraska is the only state in the nation that has a unicameral and just one one chamber of Congress. Why you got to do that, Nebraska? Okay. So it can be confusing because states have a how a state representative and a U.S. representative, right? Like a state house of representatives and the yeah. federal house. Of yeah. I remember so, getting confused when I was looking at election mail a couple of years ago and being like, wait, so they were yes. a California state senator, but they were not yes. the senator for California. <laughs> so here's a good trick. Capitalized house and Senate mean the federal legislator legislature and lowercase house and Senate mean state legislature. Oh, So in order to run for the House of Representatives, you must be at least 25 years old. You have to be an American citizen for at least seven years. You must live in the state you're representing and nothing else. You're representing? That's what I said. I said it. (laughs) Um, And so residents of each state elect its representatives to the House, and the number is proportional to each state's population. So bigger states get more representatives, which balances out the fact that the Senate gets two people per state. That's why filling out your census form is super important because we need an accurate count. Mm-hmm. So Article 1, Section 2, actually, um, there's a part of it that no longer applies because it had to do with counting enslaved people as a percentage of a whole person. Right. So it's interesting that we're still working off of this document that has language that doesn't even exist in our daily to day-to-day working. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um Real quick, I know I'm late to the party on this, but I guess my Netflix algorithm is like, ooh, we've got to suggest, you know, more of the things that Misty's into these days, not just not just Australian female-led rom-coms. Sure, 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 <laughs> And sure. I finally watched Breaking Down the House. <gasps> so that's the documentary where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and four other women, I think it's like Cori Bush, 
Um, it's, I mean, it's fascinating, but they, they all run for Congress. And I just have to say, watching the behind the scenes of what was happening, because I really became aware of her when her videos went viral Mm -hmm, and was mm -hmm. just like, she's so eloquent and she's so passionate. And I do feel like she represents me, um, and beating that incumbent that had been in office Mm -hmm. for like 14 years. She -hmm. was only 28 years old. Yeah. She's a waitress and then an organizer for Bernie. Yeah. I mean, it was just absolutely inspiring and wonderful. And I love, I love that all you have to be is 25 to run. 27. I think it's 27. I nope, 25. Why. You're right. Seven okay. years. You remember 25. You're correct. You're, you. you're schooling me and I love it. Boom, boom. So here's a little piece of history. So at the time that this was instituted, states got one representative for every 30,000 people in the house. But as the population grew and more representatives were added, the house got crowded. So 140 years later, Congress passed the reapportionment act of 1929 that capped the number of U.S. representatives at 435, which we still have today. But Mm. since we're locked at 435 and have been for 91 years, there is now one U.S. representative for every 752,000 people instead of every 30,000 or 25 times more than the delegates intended. I just hate, I mean, I hate that. I think it's so problematic. I think we have to have that. It's also just so indicative of how they had absolutely no idea what they were creating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they could not Mm -hmm. see that it would be the 330 million people, you know? Right. Oh my God. Right. They're like, well, it's just us 12. So this should work. (laughs) So, um, each state must have at least one representative. Misty, do you know what happens when a representative leaves office before the end of their term, whether they quit or die or get kicked out? Oh, I mean, I would, hope that, uh, hope that there was some kind of replacement, but how do you appoint a replacement? The governor of that representative state calls for a special election to fill the seat. Oh, there you go. Here's what's what's really, uh, you've heard of the speaker of the house, correct? Mm -hmm. Nance Pelosi. Representatives of the house choose their leader. Here is what's interesting. There is absolutely no rule for who can be the speaker, meaning the constitution has no requirements for it. The Speaker of the House could be you, Misty Stennett. It could be me. It could be Blake Shelton, he says. Oh, wait it could a, be wait, anyone. You mean, oh, you mean you do not yeah. already have to be an elected member of the House no. of Representatives in order to be the Speaker of the House. That's right. They choose so, their leader. Now, obviously, when you have the majority of the House, the majority party decides who they want to be their Speaker, and then by majority of votes, that becomes their Speaker. But it does tend to be... And I think always has been, right? Someone who is elected to Congress. Well, so far, it's never not been a current member of the House. But nowhere in the Constitution does it say that it needs to be. So, But that's why gaining a majority of the House is so important is because your majority determines who's the speaker. That's why after the squad was elected, they had powerful meetings with Nancy Pelosi's office and they got to put their agenda on because they said, I, we want, they were happy to say, I will not vote for you as speaker and threatened the majority there. And by squad, you mean all of the women newly elected to Congress. Yes. Amazing. Yes. And really Ilan quick, Omar. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Isn't the speaker of the house, the third most powerful person because it goes president, vice president. And if something happened to both of them, does it go to the speaker of the house? I believe that it does. So in theory, if the house of representatives elected Blake Shelton to be speaker of the house and he accepted, he could be third in line for the president. Wait, 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 that's fucking nuts. So that, God, this is like out of a Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones movie. So (laughs) this is like, so what you're saying is like, but you you have to, they would never elect somebody that wasn't, that that didn't, they would never give that power to somebody outside of their party. Well, sure. But there is technically a scenario in which someone becomes president who never like ran for office, was never voted publicly into office. Oh my God. That's nuts. Misty, which chamber of our bicameral Congress has the power to impeach the president? The bottom one. (laughs) Is the house. The house has the power to impeach and, and draw up articles of impeachment. The Senate is the one that brings up the trial. Okay. So article one, section three, this establishes um, that every state has two U.S. senators who serve six-year terms, and senators have one vote in the Senate, and the vote carries equal 
wait. But I also hate that because California is where we live is such a massive state and it doesn't seem as fair to have that as like Maine, which is a much smaller state. Well, you have to remember that bills can come out of either house of, of Congress, right? So like if it starts in, in the house and it goes to Senate, it can start in the Senate and go to the house. Like it, it, you know, in the house we have, I think the most next to New York. Like I, I think it's, you know, we have like a hundred and some out of 400. And so, you know, yeah. we have a huge weight in the house, but it's equal in the Senate. Um, which I think is the brilliance of them creating this is that like everybody will be equal in one of our chambers and everybody will be proportionally represented. In- right. Okay. That does make sense. Yeah. Where it gets fucked up is the gerrymandering. <laughs> right. Thank you. So the Senate is divided into thirds. So every two years, a third of the Senate is up for reelection and the requirements to be a U.S. Senator. Do you have any idea of what those might be? You got to drive a cute car. You got to be born in the USA and you got to have great hair. Okay. You must be 30. So you need to be older than a representative. Mm-hmm. Oh. You must have been an American citizen for at least nine years as opposed to oh. seven. And you must live in the state you're representing. And that's it. And the vice president is also the Senate president. and But they can only vote whenever there's a tie. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. Fucking Mike Pence. Thank you. So the Senate tries impeachments like we saw. Mm-hmm. There are only three presidents who have been impeached. Do you know who they are? Bill Clinton. Yes. Nixon. No. Um, the answer may surprise you. Just tell me. There's too many presidents to toggle through in my brain. The third one is Andrew Johnson. Okay. So Andrew Johnson, Clinton, Donald Trump. That's right. Okay. Um, Article one, section four. This one's short, so I'll read it in its original language. The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof, but the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations except as to the places of choosing senators. The Congress shall assemble at least once every year, and such meetings shall be on the first Monday of December unless they shall by law appoint a different day. Why the first Monday of December? And only once per year? What? <laughs> so here's here's what he says. Basically, this article determines congressional elections and meetings. So state legislatures decide when and where and how to hold elections for U.S. representatives and senators. But Congress can pass a law to override this, except where the part about where Senate elections are held. And this is, it's, it's a holdover a long, long time ago. So he says, in 1845, Congress passed a law establishing election day as the Tuesday after the first Monday in November. They set a uniform date so that one state results didn't influence another's. However, the reason they chose this date was because there were so many farmers in 1845 that Congress didn't want to interfere with their planting and harvesting schedules. Mm. Today, Congress could change this 175-year-old law so that people don't have to skip work to vote since many states allow limited windows to do so. And then he pitches his idea that we should move Election Day to a Saturday or establish a federal holiday or combine it with Veterans Day, since voting is one right our veterans fought to protect. I love that idea because yeah. it's no, you know, I, I love that the consideration of farmers, but that's just not inclusive of the most people anymore and how yeah. the world works now. Yeah. And it, it was the requirement that Congress must meet at least once a year. They meet more than that. But at that time, you know, it took days to travel from their state or their <laughs> to to where they were going to meet. It also sounds like back in the day, it was like, sort of like, Hey, do you want to volunteer for like setting up the Halloween party this year? And you're like, yeah, I totally do. Like what's the time commitment? You're like very minimal, very minimal. I love it. We only have a few more uh, sections of this article. Article five is about congressional rules and proceedings. The house and Senate judge their own elections and results. It's their responsibility to vet the qualifications of their members, like age, citizenship, residency, and all this stuff. To do business, a quorum must be present, which is the majority of members. Day-to-day, a smaller number can meet, collaborate or hang out. And members can even require other members to show up and punish them if they don't. Um, The House and the Senate can punish members for bad behavior, and they can expel a member with two-thirds vote. 
Oh, wow. And yeah, each, uh, the House and the Senate must each keep a journal of activity and publish it on occasion, redacting the secret of parts. And the vote tallies, the yeas and nays are entered into these journals if one third of attending members say it's okay. Oh, and then he wait, just makes hold the, on. So yeah. we only know who voted for what if one third says oh, excuse me, one fifth, one fifth of attendance. Oh, members, come sorry. on. So everybody could just be like, nope, nope, nope. Every time. Yeah. Although you got to think about it. If it's a bill, one fifth is not a lot. That's only 20 senators. If they're voting on a bill, if it's a close vote, like if say it's 99 to one, they're going to want to publish it. If it's, you know. Oh, oh, I said, okay. I think I had it backwards and I was thinking that you needed the majority. 80, oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, okay. no, no, no. Okay. It's a low number. Um, but then he reminds you that you can always track how your representative and senators vote by visiting house.gov, senate.gov, congress.gov, all of these things. But is that via the, are those just electronic versions of those journals? Basically. Yeah. So they publish it. So the house and Senate, they will always publish their record keeping. Mm-hmm. Um, gov info.gov is the congressional record index GovTrack.us, And he says, or be one of the six people watching live floor votes on C-SPAN. <laughs> <laughs> While the house and Senate is in session, they can not break for more than three days where else other than the Capitol without the other's consent, which is interesting. So if the Senate wants to break for more than three days, they have to get permission from the house. I love that. I love that. Yes. So article one could only meet, you know, once a year for the Halloween party. (laughs) That's right. Article one, section six, this is member benefits and rights. So this is how we pay our elected officials, representatives and senators earn salaries The amount is determined by law, paid from the U.S. Treasury, from our federal tax dollars. And here's some interesting things for U.S. representatives and senators. They cannot be arrested in, heading to, or coming from a session, except for treason, felony, or breach of peace. And that last one, he says, is very vague. They can't be questioned for anything mentioned during a speech or debate in the Capitol. That's really interesting. So this basically gives them freedom of speech in a legislative context. So they can't be sued for defamation for something they say on the floor. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But what if you like chugged a fifth of vodka in your chambers after you were done and then you're swerving all over the road and it's like a DUI and you're like, but I'm coming from Congress. Well, I don't think you're coming from session because you'd be coming from your chambers. Oh, you mean like literally walking out of session? I think so. this that's that's I don't think so. I that one's probably tricky. Um I don't know. That's a great question. That's a great follow-up Open, question. You listen, have homework. There's only one way to find out. I'm going to try and arrest Thank a senator. You. <laughs> Thank you. They can't be appointed to an executive branch position um before finishing their term. And if you currently have an executive branch job, you can't become uh, a representative or senator and still hold that job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Section seven. Wait, is so how that, bills. Oh, sorry. Real ahead. quick. That's interesting. So like, so Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are senators. Yes. If they were elected to president, but they can run for president, but if they were elected to president and it's they the middle of their cycle, they have to resign and then accept that's right. that. Pre- okay. Like they can't be, a senator and um, the chief of staff of the White House. Right. Yeah, yeah. Too much power. That's right. So here's how a bill becomes a law. Oh. It's a flow chart. It's a really cool flow chart. And it's I like the real way that a bill becomes a law. Yeah. A bill gets introduced in a chamber, either the House or the Senate, and then it goes to committee. And then it may, as you've heard this phrase, I'm sure, die in committee. Mm. Okay. Meaning that it doesn't get enough attention or action or support. Mm-hmm. If it passes committee, it gets debated on the floor and voted upon. And committee is just like a group of people talking yeah. about the merits of the bill. Yeah. So it could be, um, it could be like the judicial committee, the, et cetera, all these different committees that are set up in either of these, uh, houses. Okay. If it passes the f- debate and the f- vote at, in one chamber, it goes to the other chamber to get debated and voted upon. If the chamber once changes, it goes to what's called a conference and then comes back and repeats. If it is approved by both chambers, it goes to the president. Now you have some, I know, you know, this a little bit of what happens. It's with the president. There are three options, uh, two options of what happens here. What's one option. 
he can sign the bill into law. That's right. And what's the other option? The power of the veto, baby. That's right. And now he can send it back to the original chamber with notes. And then there's three outcomes of that. Oh, wait. So when he vetoes it, it's not like this is dead. Goodbye. It's like you could get another pass. He says, uh, or she, excuse me, she sends it back and says here, here, she sends it back to the original chamber that it came out of with notes. There are three options. Both chambers override the veto. And do you know how much, uh, what, what they need to overdo that? What, what percentage of a vote they need? Mm-mm. Two thirds. Okay. If both chambers override the veto with two thirds of a vote, it automatically becomes a law. Okay. Or it's changed to the president's liking, signed by the president and becomes a law. Okay. Or it dies in Congress. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot of steps. Yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, that this- makes sense because it's a law. It's going to affect you know, 330 million people. Yeah. And this section also, I think this section also uh, covers like when Congress will meet and it's an outshoot of the fact that the King would make them, the King would make the colony representatives gather at weird times and weird places to exhaust them into agreeing with him. Mm -hmm. So they're like setting, this is when we meet article one, section eight, talk about congressional powers. Here are some things that Congress can do. Set and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises for the purpose of paying down the national debt, financing national defense, and providing for the well-being of the country. Also, these duties, imposts, and excises must be the same for everyone, but the taxes don't have to be. Um, Borrow money on U.S. credit. Regulate commerce with other countries between states or with Native American tribes. Lay out the process of becoming an American citizen. Establish bankruptcy law. Coin U.S. money and regulate its value. Regulate the value of foreign money. Set standard weights and measures like inches, feet, yards, mills, pounds, and t- miles, pounds, and tons. Punish the counterfeiting of money or s- on securities uh, or securities, excuse me, like stocks, credit bonds, and options. Establish post offices and post roads. Promote silence. Silence. That is a Freudian slip. Promote science and the arts by giving inventors and authors exclusive rights to their discoveries and works. Mm. That's a copyright. That's what that is. Establish federal courts under the Supreme Court. Define and punish piracies and felonies on the water. He says that one's kind of cool. Define (laughs) and punish offenses against the law of nations, international law. Declare war. Do you know the last war that Congress actually declared? Mm -mm. World War II. Which what? means that the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Persian Gulf War, the Bosnian War, the War on Terror, uh, for, which was Afghanistan, Al-Qaeda, the Iraq War, and other, quote, wars have not been declared by Congress, although it authorized those engagements. Wait, how do you authorize a war but not declare it? We, uh, the administration went to those parties and said we would like to uh, engage and they wrote up, you know, like permission, basically. They gave a permission slip, except when it was in... Uh, Iraq, George Bush sent Colin Powell to the UN and made him make a case. I don't, I don't understand. I think we probably don't have time to unpack it on this episode, but I don't understand how you're going. Like, that's like being like, Hey, I'm hit. Like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To another country. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you are touching me, but you're saying you're not and it's still the same effect. You're right. And that's too much to unpack. Uh, FYI, there's also like all these other things that this article allows Congress to do, um, including authorizing military budgets lasting two years at most, financing the Navy, financing militias. It's, it's, there's a lot of discussion about what militias and this are. Is just section one of the Constitution. That's article, that's article one, section eight. We're, there are so many articles. We're at our last article, section, article one, section nine, the last section of article one. Mm. And I'm just going to speak briefly about the things can't, Congress can't do. Oh, great. Suspend habeas corpus unless during a rebellion or an invasion. A habeas cor- corpus gives you the right to see a judge if you were arrested, but you don't think you did anything wrong. Right. Pass bills of attainder or ex post facto laws. A bill of attainder is a legislative act that punishes someone for a crime without giving them a trial. An ex post facto law means arresting someone for breaking a non-existent law, establishing the law after the fact, and then retroactively charging them for breaking it. Oh, geez. He says, which sounds super fucked up, but that's what was happening in England. I bet. Um, passing some like poll taxes, tax goods exported from one state to another, withdraw money from the treasury without Congress passing a law to approve, cannot grant titles of nobility or allow federal officials to accept gifts, money, offices, or titles from any person of nobility, foreign state, or foreign leader without congressional 
approval. But you know what's interesting? We don't mm-hmm. have nobility here in the United States, mm-hmm. but what we do have are billionaire CEOs and they're welcome right. to accept as many gifts as they right. want from those people. I lied. There's one more section, uh, section 10 <laughs> of article one. It's the limits of states. They just limit things states can't do. States individually can't make treaties, alliances, or confederations with each other or other countries. They can't coin money. They can't establish anything other than gold or silver coin to pay down debts. They can't pass laws that invalidate contracts. They can't grant, grant titles of nobility. He says they really hated England. Yeah, they really did. So does that yeah. mean that like, if Louisiana's like, hey, 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 we want to go ahead and make good on that thing we owe you for. And then Congress is like, cool, 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 cool. Hand me that bag of silver. Like that's how that um, goes? Gold and silver They coin? can. Louisiana just couldn't do that with Georgia, as I understand it. So confused. Okay. All right. So basically, I mean, and that's article, that's just article one. There and are how many articles? seven articles plus the letter of transmittal, which is like basically handing over this constitution and then the 27 amendments that happened after. Wow. He also covers the declaration of independence and then he gives some thoughts. So yeah, basically it's him breaking down into language that makes sense. Him saying this no longer applies because this isn't a thing anymore, or here's how this applies today, or this is rarely used, or this hasn't been used for 175 years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. This is amazing. I mean, this sounds like a really useful book and I love that it's comedic because it just yeah. sounds like a great way to keep someone like me engaged, you know, who is maybe feeling like it's overwhelming. Yeah. Well, it, it also, you know, I know that AOC seems like a really cool person, but I do feel like there's this, this veil between our public servants and the public. Agreed. I don't like to call them elected officials so much as I like to call them public servants because yeah. they do work for the public. They serve the public. Yeah. and there seems to be this chasm of like information and I don't understand how things work, you know? And I mean, but even the people in the high, the oldest leaders of the Senate, you know, there are people employed who understand Robert's rules of order because nobody is supposed to know how those things go. And if you'll watch any proceeding, you'll see somebody sitting over their shoulder and they'll get up and whisper in their ear because Mm -hmm. they understand that when somebody puts a motion, what has to be said and what needs to be done in order for it to be proper. So I guess I just want to, I, uh, what I liked about this book was that it really broke things down into plain English for me to understand in current day terms. Lisa, amazing job. Thank you. <laughs> what did you put into practice from this book? Um, you know, what I did is I, when I read in my newspaper or when I read about the House and the Senate, I start to see them as like just thinking about them. Oh, this is our bicameral legislature. And thinking about when I just, when I saw, oh, the Senate or excuse me, the House passed a bill in favor of making DC the 51st state and it goes to the Senate. And I immediately know, no, Republicans control the Senate. They're going to say no. Um, and so, uh, it'll probably die. It'll die in Congress, which is sadly, I know what's going to happen, but I know why. Okay. That, that has to feel equal parts frustrating and less frustrating. <laughs> to know. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. And especially as I get deeper into working with some organizations to really affect change from like a grassroots and electoral level, like, you know, there is a very strong grasp on areas that are predominantly or have high black voters and black indigenous and constituents of color. And like uh, I was learning last night that Georgia is one of these states where white is not the majority. And so there's mm-hmm. a real strong grip and an unwillingness to let go of this. And so it's it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, having a better understanding of this is just going to help us all collectively. I think. Yeah. Um, did this yeah. book need to be written? I think it did. I think it did because I think there's a lot of us today who relate to things that are written in a fast, witty way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wouldn't watch a two hour version of this, mm-hmm. a la funny or die, which is his expertise, but we can buy, sit down and bite it off bit by bit. Right. Right. If it's sort of like your coffee table book that you keep coming back to. Yeah. And I mean, I got to tell you, it's just very, the pages are not that full. I mean, I'm going to 
turn on my video so you can see like, oh, yeah. they're just not a whole lot. Oh, of- yeah. That one just has one sentence. Yeah, that's Amendment 8. But, you know, even like there's just there's there's not a lot yeah. on there. And it's and so it's pretty, only, too. Those, It's not yeah, it is pretty. It's, black and white if you get the hardcover. Yeah, it's 215 pages, including the index. So, like... Probably probably faster than staring at the Constitution and trying to figure out what it says. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you feel like you need a law degree to, to understand the Constitution. And a lot of times people make you feel that way. Yeah. Um, but I don't... I, I This is helping me feel like no, especially for a lot of the parts of it are really just kind of like structure. Right. So did he get anything wrong? I didn't like that he said slaves instead of enslaved people, um, especially for being published in April of 2020. But that could have been an editorial choice. I don't know. But I, I mean, I also like that he addressed it. Right. And didn't try to whitewash this history. Right. So we'll we'll see. Uh, to be fair, I haven't gotten through the whole thing. So I'm interested to see when we talk about poll taxes um, and like the 24th Amendment and some other instances to see how, how he kind of handles that. But I have been fighting it off a little bit by a little bit. Sure. And do you have any homework for me? I do need you to research and find out if a senator, if it's literally walking into and out of session or if it's truly like to and from the beginning of session. <laughs> when when can they not be arrested? Great. I'm going to find out. We will report on the Huecle buff. That's the, week, that's the weekly beef, people. Tune in that's on Tuesday on the very next episode if you are as on the edge of your seat as I am. And by edge of my seat, I mean I am sunk all the way back. Stay tuned as <laughs> Misty finds out whether or not senators can be arrested for drunk driving as they leave their, what did you call it? Their chamber. <gasps> A chunk chunk. That's the law and order thing. A chunk chunk. And with that, everybody. May your rights be abundant. Abundant. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. <laughs> do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know you can also find us on the social medias. Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast. Twitter at GHY Podcast, or check out our website, GoHelpYourselfPodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.